It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. I'm so glad you've made the decision to join me on Discover Your Spiritual Identity. If you are a born-again believer in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, He is so in love with you and with the rest of the church that He has given us over 1,000 names and titles that reveal different aspects of what our inheritance is, what our destiny is, what our purpose in this world and the world to come is. Every single title encapsulates a different facet of this powerful revelation of your spiritual identity. Now, we're going to focus on a name given to us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. God refers to his people, the church, as the pillar and ground of the truth. Other versions call us the pillar and foundation of the truth, which I believe encapsulates the essence of the meaning of that title best, that we are the pillar and the foundation of the truth in this world, a world that is rocked with deception, a world that is full of spiritual darkness, and yet there is a bright and shining light in the midst of it all, and that is the church of the living God. Now, what does a pillar speak to you? If you dig into the poetical, metaphorical meaning of a pillar, it can represent a lot of things. That which is high, exalted, extraordinary, praiseworthy, strong, enduring, impressive, memorable, essential, powerful, and superior. When you gaze up at a tall, lofty pillar, there is some kind of awe that just grips your heart. First of all, that men could create something like that, but a pillar just speaks of stability. It speaks of permanence. It speaks of strength in a world that is so filled with weakness and so fluctuating all the time in unpredictable ways. A pillar speaks of stable things that you can base your life on. Back in the days when Jesus walked the earth, there were several times a year when Jews would come from all over Israel to attend the feast, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, by coming to the temple. And whenever they saw the temple, they were very aware of two pillars in front of the temple. One was named Jachin, and the other was called Boaz. Jachin means God will establish, and Boaz means in him is strength. And according to history, those 35-foot-high pillars were fire altars. On the top of the pillar, there were constant fires burning, 
24-7, so that when pilgrims topped the hills around Jerusalem on their way to the holy city, they would see that fire burning in the distance, and it would excite their hearts because they knew that they were getting closer to the temple that was the place of ministry, the place of redemption, the place of reconciliation, the place of the glory of God. And those pillars pointed the direction where God would resolve some of the issues and the problems in their lives that seemed insurmountable. And the pillar was the guiding light to the direction they needed to go. Now, that speaks to me, the fact that if we are now the temple of the living God, if we, individual believers and the corporate body of Christ worldwide, fulfill the calling to be the temple, then in our spirits there should be erected two pillar-like attitudes, just like Jacob and Boaz. They should flank the entrance to our hearts, and it should be a daily confession that God will establish me and in him is strength. And when we come to that dual conclusion— then we can fulfill this role of being a strong, stable, upright, memorial pillar, reminding our generation of the truths that have changed mankind, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the promised second coming. These are all truths that enlighten the darkness of this world. And we're called to uphold those truths and declare those truths and do everything we can to promote those truths in this world. Now, the church as a whole in 1 Timothy 3.15 is spoken of as being the pillar and ground of the truth. That's a corporate calling. However, God also refers to individual believers as the pillars of the earth. You have a personal pillar calling. Not only are you part of a worldwide body of believers that are providing a corporate witness to the world, you have an individual role to play. And the scripture that I can bring out concerning that is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. Now that's a tremendous passage of scripture that was an outburst of praise from Hannah when she received the prophecy from Eli that God had answered her prayer, she would have a son, she burst forth in this psalm of praise containing this powerful prophetic line. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 8 says, he raises up the poor from the dust and the beggar from the dunghill. Now, that's the King James Version. The New King James Version says he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. And both of those speak of a place of degradation. But for the sake of the example, I'm going to defer to the King James Version in this particular thing. He raises the poor from the dust. What does that mean? Is he just talking about those who are financially strapped or is he talking about spiritual poverty? I believe God is referring to spiritual poverty, poverty of spirit. 
That's what Jesus talked about when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is it to be poor in spirit? It's to recognize your bankruptcy in the sight of heaven. That without God, we are all bankrupt morally, bankrupt mentally, bankrupt emotionally, bankrupt spiritually. We could never pay off our debt to God, and we have no way of redeeming ourselves. And when you recognize your poverty of spirit, then you position yourself to receive everything the kingdom of heaven can provide. And that's why it said he raises the poor from the dust. Why the dust? What does that mean? Well, Adam was made from the dust of the earth in the very beginning. It is a worthless substance. God wanted his creature of highest worth to be created out of a substance of absolute worthlessness. And that was a symbol of the power of God to take nothing and make something out of it. So dust speaks of our worthlessness, but it also speaks of our mortality without God in our lives. Because the old saying is, from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust, during a funeral service, it refers to your body returning back to the earth and becoming dust again. That's a picture of mortality. He raises the poor from the dust and the beggar from the dunghill. Well, what does the dunghill represent? And if you're not sure what that is, country people would call it a manure pile. I believe that speaks of the filthiness of the lower nature, the horribleness of the unclean side of human beings that without God is given to every kind of vice and debauchery. See, he raises the beggar from the dunghill. He lifts the beggar out of this uncleanness, this filthiness. Why a beggar? Because you've got to be willing to plead with God. Oh, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. The man who beat his breast and said those words was justified in the sight of heaven, not the self-righteous Pharisee, according to Jesus' teaching. See, he lifts, he raises the beggar from the dunghill. That's carnality. So you have a dual picture here. He raises the poor from the dust. That's mortality. He raises the beggar from the dunghill. That's carnality. And then the continuation of the verse goes like this, to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. Now, who are these princes that we are set among when we are saved, washed in the blood and born again? We become a part of a royal family. All these sons of God are sons of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So they all qualify as princes and makes us inherit the throne of glory. What does that mean? It means we have access rights into the throne room of the King of all creation. And he even invites us in the book of Revelation, if we're overcomers, to sit with him in his throne. That means the place of decree, the place of oracular power, where you speak as an oracle of God, and you dominate by the word of faith the things that would otherwise overcome you and overwhelm you. 
And then he says this, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. Now, let me go through that whole verse again, because I want you to get a good grip on this powerful, powerful insight. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the dung hill to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. That's a continuation of the same beginning thought. He's talking about those who qualify to be delivered from the dust of mortality and the dunghill of carnality, who become part of the royal family of God, they share God's throne, they become the pillars of the earth, and he has set the world upon them. Listen, people think that this world is controlled by all the politicians and various world leaders that think they wield the authority in this realm, but you remove the church from this place and the world plunges into utter chaos. If that were the case, if that were to ever happen, this world would become a cauldron of insanity and be totally out of control if there was no gospel influence whatsoever. So even the mildest, meekest, most humble child of God is a pillar on which much is being supported, the spiritual atmosphere of the job where you work, the home where you live. Much of that is determined by the anointing that you carry with you and the truth that radiates from your life. It's not just something you believe in if you're truly pillars of the truth and a foundation of the truth. It's something that you emanate in all your actions, in all your words, and you influence a world full of deception. Very quickly, I want to share with you the sources of deception. Satan in Revelation 12, 9 is called the devil who deceives the whole world, that old serpent who will eventually be cast down and his angels will be cast down with him. And then sin is an influence of deception. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Why is sin deceitful? Because it allures you, it woos you, it seduces you into its trap, dresses itself up in a beautiful appearance, but once you're entrapped, it becomes a devouring evil that destroys your life. But there's something worse than Satan and all his underlings, his demons, and worse than sin in deceptive influence. And that is revealed by Jeremiah 17, 9. The prophet said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So the human heart in a fallen state, unregenerated, is more prone to deception than the devil and sin put together. See, we are our own worst enemies. Oh, no wonder, no wonder the Bible paints a hopeless picture if Jesus does not intervene in our lives. Now, we are living in the last days where deception is going to increase. When the disciples asked Jesus what would be the sign of the end of the age, his 
first response was, take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. He said, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But thank God the elect will not be deceived. Why? Because the truth is part of our nature. We are pillars of the truth, and we are the foundation of the truth. God is building the kingdom on the foundation of those who have the truth residing in their hearts and lives. He's building his purposes in the world on us. And how did that happen? When did that happen? By two supernatural influences. James chapter 1 verse 18 says that God has begotten us by the word of truth that of his own will he begat us with the word of truth. So that's part of our spiritual DNA. That's who we are. We are, in a sense, impregnated with the truth. The seed of the word of God has been planted in our souls. And then John 16, 13 declares that the Holy Spirit, who comes to live in us at salvation, and then we're baptized with the Holy Spirit beyond that, endued with power, he's referred to as the Spirit of truth. So you have the Word of truth, and you have the Spirit of truth, both streaming from the God of truth, and the Savior who said, I am the truth, in John chapter 14, verse 6. See, truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And if he lives in you, if Jesus dwells inside of you, then he saturates and permeates every part of your being and every part of your life with the influence of the truth. Listen, you're more important to this world than you may think. God is setting the world on the hundreds of thousands, the millions who are recipients of the truth. When God visited Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of your mother's womb, I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. He said, oh God, I'm just a child. I can't do this. And listen to what God said. He said, you'll go to all that I send you to. And he said in Jeremiah 1 verses 18 and 19, he said, I'm going to make you a fortified city and an iron pillar. And he said, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. You go up and kick an iron pillar and see if it dents the pillar or hurts your foot. That was God's way of saying, I'm going to make you so strong, so stable in your prophetic calling that nothing will be able to prevail against you. And if God could say that to Jeremiah, God can say that to you. Now, I have one more scripture I want to share, and then I'm going to close. It's from the message to the faithful church, the church in Philadelphia, in the book of Revelation. This is a beautiful passage where God said, I set before you an open door. No one can shut it because you have a little strength and you've kept my word and have not denied my name. And then he goes on to say, listen now, he who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. God's talking about you and I as eternal pillars now. 
not pillars of the truth within the realm of deception, this world and all of its evil, but pillars in the kingdom, the new creation to come, the messianic era that awaits us. You and I will be among those who share the authority of God in ruling over a new heaven and a new earth. Pillars in the temple of God, never to go out again, never to retreat into darkness again, never to be overcome by deception again, never to be contaminated by satanic agendas again. Thank God, thank God. And he said, I will write on you the name of my God. That's inscription. You inscribe, you chisel into a pillar something that is a permanent memorial. And he said, I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. That's who you belong to. That's what you belong to. That's where you belong. And he said, I will write on you my new name. Why will Jesus have a new name? Because the names applied to God from Genesis onward always reveal something God is doing at that time. Right now, he's known as Jesus or Yeshua, which means salvation because his occupation is saving people in this world. But one day, that's all going to be over. And when it is, he'll enter into a new phase of what he does, and he'll have the application of a new name. And child of God, you will too. You'll receive a new name according to Scripture, and you will be a pillar in the temple of God forever. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.